about how your current criminal legal system is structured? How about what judicial practices your current system uses? Do you think that all judicial systems are the same? What if I told you that not all criminal legal systems are structured around the same practices and that the majority of these practices are punitive and create more stress and trauma for offenders? Hi, my name is Emma and I am a psychology student at Mount Allison University. This episode of This Is Fine will cover both the criminal legal system and will discuss trauma, although no specifics will be mentioned. Throughout my degree, I have only learned a little bit about today's topic and thought that this would be a great opportunity to educate not only myself, but you too. Let me introduce you to the topic of restorative justice and how the use of restorative practices can alleviate symptoms of stress and help individuals involved with crime to heal from past and current traumas. If you have never heard of this term before, let me fill you in. Restorative justice and related practices are and were common across many Indigenous communal groups throughout history. Restorative justice is not about determining guilt or innocence, but is rather a means for negotiating ways to mediate the effects of crime. It focuses on repairing harm caused by crime and balancing the needs of victims, offenders, and citizens. It allows opportunity for affected individuals to address harm, hold accountability, and engage in acts of reparation such as writing a letter, paying to repair damage, participating in community service, etc. Maybe to you, this sounds absurd, and you think everyone should be punished to the full extent of the law for crimes. Or maybe you think, wow, this sounds ideal. Why aren't more criminal offenses being dealt with using restorative justice? You may also be wondering why current criminal legal systems do not use these techniques, especially if they are supposedly better than the punitive measures that are currently being used. Allow me to explain. We all cause harm, and we all have been harmed. Often, when harm is caused, especially when it is criminal harm, the people involved get seen through the lens of the crime only. There is a victim and a perpetrator, and within the legal system, that is all they are. But what if you broke a law? How would you want to be seen? If you were rushing to the hospital because a relative was dying and you got pulled over for speeding, wouldn't you want the officer pulling you over to understand your context instead of just seeing you as a lawbreaker? The current structures of many criminal legal systems were created by and for the wealthy, heterosexual, cisgender men who created them. Due to this structure, being different from the perceived norms creates opportunity to be more susceptible to systematic stressors. Since the benefiting group is less likely to endure stressors, insensitivity and ignorance to the effects of stressors is created, thus leading to the use of punishment for offenses that could be resolved in less traumatic ways. Although not all crimes can be dealt with using restorative practices, it should be known that current criminal legal systems do not take into account prior trauma or stressors that may have led to the occurrence of a crime. In recent research, it was found that offenders typically had an accumulation of endured trauma. If you're not sure what endured trauma is, it is trauma that is seen through victimization in childhood and adulthood through physical and or sexual assault, and from family stressors such as parental substance abuse being in the foster care system, and having an incarcerated family member. The lack of understanding of endured trauma demonstrated by current criminal legal systems negatively impacts those who are convicted of crimes. This can be seen such that the likelihood of reoffending increases. You may be wondering why or how the likelihood of reoffending occurs, 
And you may even be asking yourself why anyone would want to reoffend, especially if they risk incarceration. A simple answer to these questions is that currently, criminal legal systems are not attempting to prevent the occurrence of reoffense. Why, you may ask? This is because the criminal legal system does not provide adequate resources to prevent individuals from reoffending. Individuals are not offered the opportunity to address the harm created by their offenses. They are rarely given the opportunity to learn from their mistakes and are denied opportunities to engage in reparation. The focus is on punishment. This punishment may even be seen following incarceration such that individuals with criminal records are stigmatized and unable to find employers that are willing to hire them, unable to receive financial aid, and denied the opportunity to find housing through affordable housing programs. These difficulties that may be experienced are important to highlight as lack of financial resources and housing creates instability and further increases one's perceived stress especially since this makes them unable to provide for not only themselves, but potentially their families as well, increasing the likelihood of reoffense. What the criminal legal system does not understand is that the lack of use of preventative measures and the unwillingness to engage in restorative practices creates more trauma and increases one's perceived stress and affects individuals who are currently incarcerated as well as those who have been released. Like I said before, this increased exposure to trauma increases the likelihood of reoffense. It also creates more problems for offenders such that the likelihood of intergenerational trauma occurring may increase. If you're not sure what intergenerational trauma is, it is the transference of trauma between generations. If that is still not enough, let me give you an example. Remember the use of, of residential schools from the late 19th to the late 20th century? Intergenerational trauma is seen today through the school's attendees, their children, and their grandchildren, and continues to affect communities across Canada today. Now let's look at how incarceration may create a cycle of intergenerational trauma within the criminal legal system. If using punitive measures, the occurrence of intergenerational trauma will increase such that the incarceration of individuals creates stress for family members. It also affects incarcerated individuals such that their trauma after their release will seep into things such as attachment and parenting styles. It should also be noted that racialized offenders are even more affected such that discrimination towards these populations is already higher than non-racialized offenders. This is even more important to look at as black individuals in the United States already are incarcerated at five times the rate of white individuals and Latinx individuals are incarcerated at two times the rate of white individuals. You might be wondering how these examples link into the use of restorative justice. To begin, restorative justice is able to prevent further traumatization and instead focus on healing. According to past research, restorative justice was created to not only help offenders, but victims as well, such that offender treatment would improve and victims of crime would be able to address their victimization with the offender. Unlike current practices, restorative justice holds individuals accountable for their offenses and leads to a decrease in reoffense and delinquent behaviors. It can be seen that restorative policing is more humane and rewarding for offenders than non-restorative policing and incorporates views from psychology, criminology, and social work. This is due to the individuals coming to understand the suffering they cause themselves and their victims, working through guilt associated with their crimes, 
and having the opportunity to make amends with those affected by their actions. Recovery and reparation plans are created to match each individual's unique characteristics. The use of recovery and reparation plans indicates that restorative justice has rehabilitative effects such that offenders are able to change fundamentally regardless of their committed crimes. Not only do these plans benefit offenders themselves, but they also benefit personal relationships and community bonds such that they are able to be restored. This restoration may be due to the acknowledgement of wrongdoings and the ability of offenders to express remorse for their actions. The acknowledgement of the harmfulness of offenders' actions creates opportunity for victims to forgive and be compensated for the trauma they may have endured due to their victimization. Just like non-restorative policing, restorative policing is able to bring justice to victims of crime, just not in the same way. Justice is seen from restorative policing through forgiveness, such that the use of intervention, action, or cognitive rationalization increases feelings of justice and one's willingness to forgive offenders for their actions. I bet you're wondering how the implementation of restorative justice would help offenders, victims, and communities. Let me tell you how. Currently, the punitive practices being used in criminal legal systems are not able to successfully address the harms of crimes committed by people of marginalized groups and do not address how restorative justice may be able to help these populations. Restorative practices could change this such that the needs of marginalized groups would be taken into account and they would be able to decide which practices would be best to deal with the harms created by the occurrence of crime. This is especially important as without acknowledging things such as race, ethnicity, socioeconomic status, sexual orientation, and religious beliefs, you are leaving room for overgeneralization and overlooking differences between populations. Acknowledging these differences allows communities the opportunity to deal with the effects of crime and repair harms in ways that respect their values. You may be looking for examples as to how some communities use their beliefs to engage in restorative practices. Let me show you how. Respecting community beliefs and practices can be seen specifically in restorative practices in Indigenous communities within North America. A victim-survivor approach to restorative justice is used in the participation of healing circles. Healing circles are rituals that include victims and survivors of harm and are used to deal with the effects of their victimization. This practice incorporates Indigenous ritual practice and prayer into restorative principles in order to promote communication and healing through seating oneself in a circle with individuals who are currently affected by crime or who have survived a violent crime. Although this specific practice is not solution-focused, this cultural ritual opens communication and allows individuals to be expressive of their feelings following victimization. It also addresses the overrepresentation of Indigenous people in the criminal legal system and creates a sense of safety and well-being within Indigenous communities. Another reason restorative justice is needed is that retributive practices within current criminal legal systems do not offer community accountability programs to those who commit major offenses unless they are juvenile offenders. Community accountability programs hold all offenders accountable for their actions, allow victims to express how they were affected by crimes, and repair harms. Here are a few examples of community accountability programs that we see used today. These are things such as healing circles, group conferences, mediation between victims and offenders, justice forums, and accountability boards in areas affected by crime. 
information about restorative justice is also not made available to individuals, even though in Section 717 under the Canadian Victims' Bill of Rights, individuals are entitled to the choice of restorative rather than retributive practices. It can be seen, though, that restorative justice is not promoted like that of retributive practices, so much so that 52% of Canadians do not have much or any knowledge surrounding the topic. Shocking, right? So the real question is, how can individuals request the use of restorative practices if they are not educated on the topic? Just because current criminal legal systems prefer specific practices does not mean that everyone is supportive of them. We need more exposure to alternative judicial practices. You may think that restorative justice can only be used in criminal legal systems, but to mine and you're surprised, it can be used in other domains as well, such as schools. The use of restorative justice within schools is used to address harms without the use of punishment, such as detention, suspension, and or expulsion. This can be seen such that kids engage in restorative classroom conversations, peer mediation, or restorative conferences with those directly involved in hopes of building, maintaining, and repairing relationships. In recent research, it was found that the use of restorative justice instead of punishment in schools leads to an increase in the quality of relationships between students and their peers, as well as their educators. It was also found that the use of restorative justice within schools led to an increase in student happiness and student engagement. To end our talk today, why don't we look at some success stories as a result of the use of restorative justice. Although restorative justice may not be successful for every case, it should be noted that there have been many cases where the outcomes have been positive for all involved. For example, an 18-year-old man named Jacob was arrested for murder after getting into a fistfight with another individual. After learning about restorative justice through his parole officer and the parents of the man that was killed, he was able to answer questions related to his offense and help them understand why it occurred. Through the use of restorative justice, Jacob began attending mediations and writing letters back and forth with the victim's family. These steps led to Jacob returning to school and allowed him to engage in preventative measures so that no one else would have to go through the trauma that his victim's family endured. Another example of a success story coming from the Community Justice Initiatives following the use of restorative justice, starts with a 16-year-old boy named Isaac, who committed murder on another boy his age. After his conviction, his mother struggled to understand what had happened and felt as if her and her son would never get to address the harms associated with the crime. Years later, Isaac was given the opportunity to participate in a restorative opportunities program, which allowed him to communicate with members of his victim's family through a series of letters. Shaken by his improvement, Isaac and his mother were invited to speak with the victim's mother, where Isaac was able to express how sorry he was for committing the crime and answered any questions that she had. At the end of their exchange, the victim's mother apologized for acting out of anger during the time of the murder, fulfilled Isaac's dream of having his own dog, and told him that even though he took her son away, she still forgave him for his actions. These are just a few testimonies that we see related to the use of restorative justice that demonstrate positive outcomes and the need for its usage to be implemented more in current criminal legal systems. Today we talked about what restorative justice is and the current structure of criminal legal systems. 
how restorative justice may be able to fix problems within judicial systems, why communities need restorative justice, alternative uses of restorative justice, and a few testimonies from offenders, victims, and their families. If you're feeling like you want to learn more after hearing about what restorative justice is and are looking for more information and how you can get involved with the promotion of its practices, feel free to visit websites such as Community Justice Initiatives, Amplify RJ, or the Canadian Department of Justice website and search for restorative justice. I will also put links for these sites in the show notes. Overall, I think restorative justice could be advantageous to so many who are facing jail time for crimes that could be resolved in a much more holistic, respectful, and less traumatizing way. Healing, in its many forms, is a huge benefit of restorative justice and should be offered more widely and more often in our society today. Restorative justice offers victims and offenders the opportunity to communicate, reflect, and rehabilitate in a way that I believe is much more beneficial to both parties, friends, family members, and community members all around. This is Fine, a podcast about stress, burnout, and resilience, was created by students at Mount Allison University. The students created each episode as part of a fourth-year psychology class called Stress, Burnout, and Resilience, taught by me, Dr. Lisa Dawn Hamilton. There's a link in the show notes to access the full script with references. You can also go to mta.ca slash psychology and click on the This Is Fine podcast link. Episodes were recorded at the CHMA studios in Sackville, New Brunswick, or over the internet when that wasn't possible. Script assistance, podcast basics, and training were provided by Matt Tunnicliffe. Music and audio production by Jeremy Dahl at paleblue.studios. Thanks for listening and for supporting these students' foray into the world of podcasting. Podcasting.